Luke 7. I guess for a title, it's what is your response to Jesus? So we have a couple of different responses here we'll look at. Luke 7, and we're going to begin reading in verse 36. And it says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. He said, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Well, you have answered rightly. You've rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, You see this woman? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgives sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. And Father, we just ask that through my mouth and my voice and the word that we preach and read today, Lord, that we will hear your voice and that you'll speak comfort, edification, just whatever we need to hear today, Lord. And we thank you for this word that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. So we have one of the Pharisees that's around the area wants Jesus to come and have dinner with him at a banquet, a special meal in honor of Jesus. So what is the reason that he wants to have Jesus come eat with him? And you'll see that in chapter 7 if you look back in verses 16 and 7. I believe this is the reason. And it says, There came great fear on all after he raised that dead boy. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet, that's what they're saying of Jesus, is risen up among us and that God has visited his people. And it says in verse 17, This rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And so this Pharisee's hearing of this great prophet or whatever, and he's got a curiosity. He wants to have him, and he says, I want you to come and eat with me. He wants to examine him, eat with him, listen to what he has to say. He's got a curiosity. So he has this banquet. And back in that day, they were a lot more social society than we were. So the houses back then, the doors would have been opened, and they would have had this banquet in a courtyard. And all of the community, anybody that would have wanted to come, they wouldn't have been able to come and eat. 
the table would be in the middle with people reclining, leaning, and then he would have a hand to eat, reclining with one hand, their feet would have been coming out. So all around that table, if it was a round table, which it was many times, there'd be feet on the circumference. And then against the walls, the people would stand. And so anybody could come. They would come, they'd listen in on the conversations that happened. You know, they'd be curious what this Pharisee has to say. And I'm sure there was quite a few people there with Jesus being at that banquet. But also the poor people, they would give them the scraps. They'd give them the leftovers to eat. So the woman's presence that we hear her being there would not have been unusual. She might not even have been noticed. But to approach the table like she did and to do what she did to the Lord, that would have been highly unusual, what she did there. So there's three characters that we have in this little story we read right here, which is a true story. I like it's once upon a time. So we have this woman who's focused on in verses 37, 38, the Pharisee in verse 39, and Jesus through verses 40 to 47. And so this woman, she knows and finds out that Jesus is in this house. And it says she brings in there an alabaster vase of ointment. She comes up behind him at some point in that meal, weeping, washing his feet, it says, with her tears, anointing them, wiping it off with her hair, anointing his feet with perfume, I mean, that would have been quite a display that she was putting on there. And then you have this Pharisee who's there, and she's questioning Jesus. He's questioning Jesus. Is this man really a prophet? He says he's a prophet, but if he's a prophet, we know that prophets know everything about everybody. They can read inside people's heart. And yet, he's letting this woman, as wicked, we all know she's wicked. As wicked as she is, he's letting her come up behind him and touch him like this and make this big display without saying something to her? That's his reaction to this whole thing. And Jesus, what does he do? He justifies the woman. And he openly exposes Simon the Pharisee for who he is. So you think about it. You have two people here that come to Jesus. They come to be in his presence. Both of them, they both have a desire to see him, to be with him, and to talk with him. But they are two totally opposite results, aren't there? as a result of all this that happens. And the same thing happens today. So Jesus isn't here personally, but the Spirit of God is, and His Word goes forth today, just like it was back then. And we still have two reactions. Not everybody reacts positively, and some are blessed. Some get a blessing. But I want to look at the context of this before we get into these verses. The context of chapter 7 Leading up to this, Jesus is talking about the preaching of John the Baptist. And we have that through verses 17 through 35 here. I don't want to read all of that right now. But that's what it's talking about. That leads into this story, the preaching of John the Baptist. And we all know what was the message that John preached. We all know that. It said he came preaching a message of the baptism of what? Repentance. In other words, you're not right with God. You need to turn from the way you're living. You're walking this way. And his message was repentance. You need to turn and walk this other direction. That was the message that he came to preach. And so who were the ones that came out to hear him preach? We have two crowds that came out to do that too. It talks about the multitudes from Jerusalem, Jordan, and the region of Judea. And it says the multitudes that came out. They were confessing their sins and being baptized. They were receiving his message. But we also, we know there was another group that came out. And that other group was the Pharisees. They came out to the baptism too. 
And it said they were sent. They were sent from the big cats in Jerusalem. And what was their purpose? They're asking him questions. Who are you? Are you Elijah the prophet? They were just sent to do an investigation. They didn't come to be baptized, though, did they? We'll see that. They were coming to see who's this new guy that's on our turf, that's messing with the, our people. <laughs> Right, So we have two groups coming to this baptism. We have the multitudes coming and confessing their sins, and we have the Pharisees coming just to check things out. So look here in chapter 7, look in verses 28 to 30. And Jesus says this, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And here's the reaction. And the people that heard him and the publicans, they justified God, it says, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, not being baptized of them. But what do those verses mean? What does it mean when it says all the people and the publicans justified God? So, you know, it's funny. They always bring out the publicans, the tax collectors. And the reason is, is they were considered the worst of sinners. It couldn't get any worse than them. Everybody else was below them in the sin category. (laughs) The greatest sinners. And what they're saying is when they justify God, they're saying that counsel that John gave against us, that we need to repent. When they say they justify God, they're saying we agree. We agree with this message, this, and it had to have an anointing on it that brought conviction. Those tax collectors are like, what should we do? They're cut to the core when he's preaching about repentance and that hell's coming. Well, what should we do? And he says, don't collect any more than you're supposed to. You can do your job, but quit being an extortionist. That's what he said. But it says here, so they justified. They say, yeah, we agree with that. We're going to be baptized. We will repent. That's what it means when it says they justified God. But the others, the Pharisees and the lawyers, it says they rejected the counsel of God against themselves. So what does that mean? That means they come there and they see who all these people are and they're saying, we are not like them. We don't need to do what they're doing. We're not sinners that need to repent. We have no need of this baptism. That's what basically they're saying. They rejected the counsel of God. He was calling them just the same as everyone else. But their attitude was, we don't need that. We don't need what you're preaching. We don't need what God says. We're rejecting. What were they doing? If you think about it, here they are. They're supposed to be pointing people to the way of salvation, and yet they are rejecting God's way of salvation. We talked about a couple Wednesdays ago. They are the blind leading the blind is what they were doing, leading people astray. And it says in Romans 10, 3, that going about to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And that's the key to understanding this story that we're talking about here. There's some that would submit to God's salvation and what he said that had to happen, and there's others that wouldn't. And so listen, 1 John 1, 8 1 verses 8 to 10 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he says, if we confess our sins, if we do that, then God, he says, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on to say, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And that's what they were doing. 
are saying we have no sin, inward or outwardly. That's what they were saying. And so they get no forgiveness because he says, if we'll just confess our sins, God then is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's the condition, though. So turn back to Mark 2, if you would. So we're talking about there was a baptism that took place, publicans and sinners were there. And we've read this before when we went through Mark, but I want to look at it again because there's a banquet that they're having and they invite Jesus to. Here's another banquet that's taking place here in Mark 2, beginning in verse 13. And it says this, And he, Jesus, went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat, here he is, another banquet in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with publican and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And so we got a lot of sinners sitting here at this meal. And I guarantee you the great physician was ministering healing to them, ministering salvation to them. Because John the Baptist had done what? He had come saying, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There is one coming after me that is mightier than me. He is the way of salvation. They realized this is the one he's talking about. You think about that. All these sinners sitting there having dinner with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you he's pointing the way in a gentle way, in a way they can receive it, that this is the way you can have life. You've repented of your sins. I'm the life. I'm the forgiveness. I'm the one you've been looking for. And it would have really ministered to them. And I'll tell you, it doesn't say. I'm saying I would assume that woman is in this house at that party. She's a notorious sinner. Because she didn't get saved in Luke 7 that we read. She was already saved. Jesus told her, he said, your sins, which are many, have been forgiven. I'm saying she'd already seen him as her Lord and Savior before she came there. And I believe in this banquet, God is supernaturally opened these people's eyes up to see who he is. That this is the salvation of God that has come. These people hadn't rejected his counsel against them. And that's what the great physician is doing, isn't it? That's what it's all about. So I don't know whether she was in that house for sure, but I very well think she could have because that woman needed help, didn't she? And she would have realized it. You're not going to be a person living in sin like that. And God had already dealt with her, I'm sure, and realized that I am an unclean person. I'm unclean like this leper. I can't help myself. I can't get myself out of this hole I've in. The things I've done to people, there's no way. How could God ever forgive me? How could he ever cleanse me? And yet she's seeing here that he does that. That he's come to clean her just like that leopard. And that Pharisee says, ah, no. Jesus should have known what manner of woman this is that touches him. That Pharisee would have never let that woman touch him. You're not even getting near me, honey. I'm sure he'd escorted her out of his house because she is unclean and untouchable. Oh, but that's who Jesus came for, to bring life, 
because that was all of us. All of us were unclean and untouchable. Go back to Luke. He sets forth a parable there to show how great a sin. So in verse 39, now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she's a sinner. But Jesus, he is a prophet. He's showing right here. He knows what he's thinking. Going to expose him right here. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. And he said, Master, say on. Well, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose. Come on, Simon. You suppose? I mean, Simon's getting exposed. And he's kind of covering himself. Well, I suppose. No, he knew. He said, I suppose he that to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, well, you have rightly judged, is what he told him. So 500 pence, that's one and a half years of wages. That'd be the equivalent of $75,000 or more. I mean, I know people here make way more than that. So let's give you 150,000. Let's put a range in there, right? And the other man, he said, owns 50 pence. Well, that's two months wages, $8,000. It's a tenth of what the other person owed. So you would think a laboring man if you're out there working, you could probably cut back on a few things. She's not going to get the makeup, the lipstick, the dresses, the shoes, and you're going to cut back on your donkeys and saddles or whatever. Forget that new saddle for a while for your donkey, right? Going to cut back on all that. Maybe I could take care of that. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, but a year and a half's wages, $150,000, that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be a mountain that you're not going to be able to climb very easy, if at all. It's basically, he's saying, it's impossible. And so that larger debt is who, obviously? It's our woman, the great sinner. And her debt was like a mountain that would crush her. So you think about what a sinner she probably was. Like I said, she probably ruined many a home. It doesn't say she was a prostitute, but you would have to assume that by the way it's spoken of. And how many men did she seduce? How many times did she use that gift of sex that God had given her for marriage and used it in a perverted way to gain filthy lucre? When I look at that, I think, I was like, Brother Terry, that was me. Now, I wasn't a prostitute, but I look at all of the wicked thoughts I thought. Clear back when I was a little Catholic boy in grade school, the nastiest things I said and wrote. One time I wrote this paper out about this girl. Couldn't have been any nastier. She hadn't done a thing to me. I don't even know why I did it. Honestly, just devil inspired. And you know what happened? Here's how God will do things. Somehow or another, I left that paper laying somewhere. And I had one of the nuns. John, can you stay after school? I want to talk to you. Sure, sister. Thought she's going to teach me how to do the rosary or something. You know what she did? She very sweetly took that paper out and set it right in front of me. And I'm looking down at that and I'm like, oh. I was hung. I was hung big time. I mean, I was embarrassed down to my shoes. I never forgot. That. I mean, I'm thinking you are about as wicked as it gets. And that started when I was in grade school. It started before that even, didn't it? But I think of all the wicked thoughts I had, all the hurtful words, all the things I did. Like Peter says, he says, you know, you guys have been too long in your lasciviousness, your lust, your excess of wine, your revelings, your banqueting, your abominable idolatries. 
That's me and Terry. I'll just put me and Johnny. We got to put Johnny in there too. He was part of that, right? I was a disgrace. I was a shame. I had a mountain of sin that weighed on me going into 21 years old. And I knew I was headed straight to the pit of hell. I'd watch Billy Graham about half with it. But I was with it enough that when he would preach the gospel, and he would, if you don't repent, you will perish. And I would cry. I'd have a drug-induced cry. But I was convicted to the core. And I'm thinking, God, please don't let me die now. Because I know where I'm going. And that's how God dealt with me. And I'm sure he dealt with a lot of you the same way. You think, well, I'm in the other category. I've never really done much. You know? But Isaiah... You think about Isaiah, what had Isaiah done? He was a godly, righteous prophet. But I'll tell you what happens. I don't care who you are on this earth. I don't even care where your spiritual attainment is. Even now in this room after you're saved, you come into the holiness and the presence of God and you will cry out like Isaiah, woe is me because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And that's what the Spirit of God will do. And we have revival. I didn't get the message together today I wanted to, but that is one thing. When you have true revival, it's not going to be dogs barking and all that kind of stuff. You read about the true revivals through history, and the first thing that happens is there's an awesome presence and conviction of sin that God brings down to the core. And hopefully we'll talk about that next Sunday. But that's the way it'll be. So there's none righteous no, not one. And so, you know, the point of that story is not that one sinner is much greater than the other. The point of the story was that neither one of them could pay. They're both broke and helpless because God is not up there tabulating the number of sins. Everybody has a nature that is going to hell. That's the point. Whether you owe $150,000 equivalent of sins because you were one of those raunchy people or you were a good person that grew up in a church like this and you think your sin is only $5,000, you still have a sinful nature. You're still wicked. Pray that God will show you that. Amen. Because that's what happens. What does somebody need? What do all of us need when we're hopelessly in debt and incurably sick? And that was all of us. We heard two testimonies. They were both there in different ways. That's all of us. What did they need? Great grace. Isn't that what we all needed? Amen. <laughs> Great grace. So it says here in this account, verse 42, when they had nothing to pay, that's both of them. It says he frankly, the word frankly really means freely graciously he frankly forgave them both gave them both freely forgave so they didn't deserve that helpless now how did they react well i think the one person would have maybe thought he's bringing that down to that low number because it seems manageable well maybe i can work it off maybe i can work it off over time that's what that pharisees would have thought so i'm a moral person he probably thinks i really haven't done that many things like that rich young ruler that came. I've never broken the law. All these I've kept from my youth. And as far as I know, everything's okay. And the few little things I might have whatever, I might have covered it a little bit. But all the good that I've done is more than going to cover that up. And Jesus is saying, no way. You're both helpless. You both can't pay. And you both need to freely receive grace, no matter who you are. 
So that's the way it would have been. But you think about it, that person that thought they hadn't done much, they're not going to think much of the grace that's given them. But that other person, the person that was like me, they would have been beside themselves. I don't deserve this. Look what you've done for me. Wonder and gratitude when they realized who they were and where they were heading. And all of us should see that to some degree. God, like that creditor, he freely forgave all of us. It's free and gracious given to us from our side. But what about the creditor's side? Didn't the creditor that forgave both debts, even in the parable, didn't he have to suffer loss? That's money that was his, that should have been paid him, and he didn't have it. And God had to absorb our loss, didn't he? It's free to us, but it was not free to him. So unlike what the Muslims say, God can't just wave his hand and say you're forgiven, and that's it. It doesn't work that way. Because for God to be just, remember we said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. The reason it says he's just is because the debt was paid. So it cost our creditor, it cost God everything. He paid our insurmountable debt himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where it was paid. That debt that we could never pay. We sing the song. And so I would say, go to the cross. You say, I really don't have a love for the Lord. Go to the cross. And you can see the Lord in that excruciating pain. That cross was not very high. Those people that were there, they could hear the groans. They could see what he was suffering. They could hear him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They could see the Lord Jesus Christ bloodied and blood dripping down. They could see all of that, that that was the price that was paid so that we could go free. And we could never do what he did. That's why we needed a substitute. We could never do that because even if they crucified us, it wouldn't pay for our sins because we were sinners. He had to be a sinless substitute. So all we can do is what? Just like these people, he freely forgave them. All we can do is humbly look at the cross and what he's done and just receive that. Trust him for it. Receive it freely. And that's what this woman did. She's so wicked, she knew she couldn't pay off what she owed the Lord. Never pay her debt. All she could do is receive that free pardon. And so how does that pardon come to me and you? How did it come to her? It comes in the form of a person. And a person that doesn't grudgingly forgive. A lot of times we'll forgive, but we're grudgingly about it. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He cares and loves the sinner that returns to him. So <laughs> he goes and eats with those people at Levi's house at that banquet. He's not going there begrudgingly. He's saying, that's why I came. I'm a doctor. And I got a house full of sick people here. And I am here to minister to them, to give them life. Or like Jake talked about the father of the prodigal son. He sees that son that sinned against him afar off. And it's not begrudging. It says he hoisted up his skirt and ran to him, which you wouldn't do back then. Runs to him, falls on his neck repeatedly in the Greek, repeatedly kisses him again and again and again. He is just so overjoyed that he's back. That's what he is. But the elder son is like the Pharisee with this woman. This thy son has devoured thy living with harlots. And the father is like, no, that's not the issue here. No, the issue is that thy brother is dead and he is now alive. 
He said, that's all I care about. He's lost and he is found. So the last thing I want to say is, when we believe in the love and free forgiveness of God, our faith will produce love. So look at the contrast here in verses 44 to 47. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See thou this woman, I entered into thine house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. That's a huge contrast. And he's standing there. He says, seest this woman? He had already seen her. It wasn't a matter he hadn't seen her. But he's saying, I want you to see her in the way that I'm seeing her, is what he's saying. He says, you didn't give me any water for my feet. That was just a common courtesy that should have happened. He's like, you gave me no water. He says, but she has washed my feet. And the word for washed is the word for rain. It's not just a little tear coming down. I saw somebody the other day, just a little tear coming down. No, this was, it was raining out. Streaming, raining tears coming out of here. Hitting his feet like a steady rain. And then it says she washed them with her hair. He didn't give Jesus the water or a towel, didn't have a towel there. And no respectable woman in that time would let her hair down. Now you kept your hair up, you only let it down for your husband. But here she let her hair down and she's washing Jesus' feet. That is, speaks of her humility at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 45, he says, you didn't give me any kiss. The common form of greeting. He says, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in here. It's the same word that was used of the father and the prodigal son, repeatedly kissing. You imagine that? That's humility there. Kissing someone's feet, the ugliest part of a person's body. In verse 46, he says, you didn't anoint my head with common oil, with the olive oil, but she's anointed my feet with the most expensive perfume you could buy. So here's the contrast. Here's what he's trying to point out to this Pharisee. He says, how much love did you have for me? How much love? He said, you gave me no water, no kisses, no anointing. You think about when you read this story, the Pharisee is kind of detached, isn't he? He's kind of cold towards the Lord Jesus Christ. He's invited him as a guest, but he, there's no warmth extended to him, which you would have done. It's just like... I've got you here. I want to check you out and ask you some questions. But what is he doing? He's sitting back and watching him. There's no warmth there. He's thinking in his brain, in his mind, critical thoughts of the Lord. Of course, the Lord exposed all that. He knew it. But that's the way this is. There's no warmth. He's just interested, just this intellectual curiosity. So what does it say? Jesus says, hey, he that is forgiven little will love a little. But what is he telling the Pharisees? He says, you haven't shown me any love at all. And so what does that say? How much forgiveness is that going to get? Because Jesus meant nothing to him. You know that? Really, he meant nothing to this Pharisee. And there's people that can come here. They can hear the word. They're curious. It's where they grew up. But it really means nothing to them. Jesus has never come into your life where you know him, he's changed you. He's made that difference in your life and given you that new birth that he can do. 
So he didn't see any need. His standing with God, he's like, I don't need John's baptism. John's pointing to Jesus. I don't need him either. He's the one he pointed to because my standing with God all comes by what I do. And I'm just not a bad person. I don't need any more than what I have. That's what he was thinking. But the woman, she is totally the opposite. You talk about warmth. Her whole personality is involved with what she's doing. She's not detached. It's just the opposite. She can't restrain herself. I see what you've done for me, what I was, and what you've done for me. She can't restrain herself. She's a mess. Her whole personality. She, her hair's a mess. She's got probably tears dripping down her face, snot coming out her nose. I mean, really? Isn't that the women? Or women look really good when they get all choked up like that? I don't think so. I mean, I don't either. You ever look at somebody, their eyes get puffy or whatever? That is the way she is. Just out of that Thanksgiving. And he has what that he doesn't have of Simon? What does he have of hers? He has her heart. Because weeping comes from what? When you weep like that, it comes out of your heart, doesn't it? Copious tears comes from deep emotion. Joy and thanksgiving come from what? Deep repentance. That's what will happen. When you really repent, it won't be emotionless. Not when you see that God, what you are and how he's freely forgiven you. There will, you can't not have no emotion that would be there, right? That repeated kissing, she can't show enough how grateful she is. Jesus, like I said, has given her new life, cleansed her from her filthiness, forgiven her. And so she brings that vase. That is the most valuable thing she had. That was worth some money back then with that perfume. Over a year's wages it would have been worth. And she breaks that. This is the most valuable thing I have. And she breaks that, and she doesn't pour it on his head. She pours it on his feet, the only thing she had access to, right? And that fragrance would have gone out and through that whole room, as the Steve Green song says, would have filled the whole room. All would have known what had happened. And so what was that ointment? What was that box in that ointment to her? That was her greatest treasure, wasn't it? What is she saying? What's her greatest treasure now? It's not that anymore. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because like I said, guess what he has? He has her heart, doesn't he? And Jesus said this. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, this thing here, this isn't my treasure anymore. You are, Lord. Isn't that what salvation's all about? And when he's our treasure, everything's going to work out. So verse 47 there, he tells Simon that her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. So a lot of people read that and they think that her love is what saved her. But that's not what he's saying there. He's not saying that her love is what saved her. No, he's saying that you can see by her love that she's demonstrating that she has received by faith the forgiveness he's offered her. So he's saying the one that loves most is the one that knows they've been forgiven the most. Isn't it? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought that my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well. That would have been the song she was singing, right? So the question is, what saved her? It's in verse 50. He said unto the woman, your faith, not your love. 
That's just evidence of your faith. But your faith has saved thee. He says, go in peace. Her faith, her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you would turn back quickly to 1 John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 10, it says, He that believes that trust commits themselves on the Son of God has this witness in himself. He that believeth not has made God a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. Remember I said, how did eternal life come? It's a person. And this life is where? Is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. And I'm saying this woman had the Son. She's crying over his feet, wiping them with her hair, kissing them. And she is literally holding on to the Son. She has him, literally. And we can have him by faith in the same way. But she has him. And she's lavishing her love upon him. She's holding on to Jesus and she's saying, I've gotten rid of that treasure and I'm holding on to the one that is my treasure, is what she's saying. And that Pharisee, because of that, remember what he said? He's thinking evil of her. He's reading everything wrong. He's saying if he was a prophet, he'd know who this woman is that is touching him. She's touching him because she's got hold of him. She's got hold of life. And he's thinking evil of that. She can't help herself. He that hath the Son, that hath, has got a hold of the Son, has life. You have to get a hold of the Son and not let him go. Because the devil in the world and your flesh is trying to get you to lose your grip and take you away from that. He that has the Son, a grip on him, and she does. And you know why? Because Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And she realizes that that's what he is. And she's not going to let go. And that's what God has done. He's given us an indescribable gift. And you know the amazing thing? Think about this. That woman never says a word in this entire story. Not a word. But she speaks very loudly, doesn't she? She doesn't say a word. Amen. And in conclusion, I would just say this. You're in here today, and I know some are, that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a great sinner, he's saying, just like he says there, you may not think you're that bad, but you are. And he says, I will freely forgive your debt. He'd have freely forgiven Simon's debt if he hadn't have been so hard-hearted and critical. He just had to give that up. That's all he had to do. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so that's what happens. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ, receive that gift, and you'll have a love. You don't have to work it up. It'll be there. It'll be there and produced by the Holy Spirit. And here's what Paul, this is how he finished his letter to the Ephesians. He says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Man, I think that's the majority of who I'm talking to today. And we could sing that song. I wrote down the words, I love this song. My Jesus, I love thee. I know you are mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. 
my gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because you have first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crowns on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. And you know what? Too many people are trying to live a holy life before they've received the gift and they've got the cart before the horse. Because that's what that song's saying. And I think that's what happened to this woman. When you see that, hey, he's freely offering me forgiveness despite how I am. Her eyes are open to that and she receives that. And then it's like, I love you. And that's totally different than saying, I'm going to try to earn all that by doing all this stuff. So pray that God will open your eyes and open your understanding to see who you are and then see who he is and what he'll freely do for you. Amen? And you won't have any trouble loving the Lord then. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word that you've spoken to us today through the example of not only this Pharisee, but this woman. And that through the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, you've given us an indescribable gift. And I ask that you'll open all of our eyes to that, Lord, that when you show us our sin, you'll also, Lord, show us the free forgiveness, the freely offered forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that all will be well with our soul when we receive that. And I ask if anybody here, Lord, has gotten away from that, you'll return us to our first love. Return us back to what you did for us back on that day, maybe many years ago, convicted of us of our sins and shown that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ would wash all that away and give us a new start and a new spirit. And if we need to be brought back to that, Lord, I just ask that you'll do that by your spirit. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you all would stand to your feet.
who sits on the throne and unto the It's just a revelation. How can you explain when God shows to your heart who the Lord Jesus Christ is? And as Paul said, because everybody can't say it, who loved me and gave himself for me. You've got to have that. You've got to see that. If you've never seen that, no matter how long you've been here, you've got to ask God to show you that. Because you've got to know that he loves you and died for you and will keep you. That's what's going to get you through. Amen. We're never going to earn our favor. That thief couldn't have done a single thing. It's a free gift that results in love and obedience. Amen? He brought them out of there. He redeemed them out of Egypt with a strong hand and a mighty hand. 
And it wasn't until after they were redeemed and his people and bought with blood that then he gave them the law and said, this is how I want you to live. He didn't give them the law first. If you do this, I'll let you leave. No, he got them out by his blood. They were slaves and delivered them and then said, this is how I want you to live as my people. Amen. Now, praise God. 